This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Namai, Harimai, Kiora Tanakwe, Free FM, 89.0, Independent Community Media. I'm Bruce Scott, Mel Driscoll. We're back. This is Cosmopolitan News and Views. And if you think my voice is a bit muffled, I've left my mask on for health and safety to my colleague and good friend and anyone else in the building. So in the next hour and a bit, we'll leave the mask on. And I do notice around town a lot of people are not wearing masks. I had to kind of walk in not very straight lines this morning when I went shopping. Not many people around the city were wearing masks, including the street people. You've got to get with the picture, boys and girls. You've got to wear your masks. At 19 minutes to 1 o'clock, well, we've since been away and I've been in the man cave and hibernating in this cold winter, the end of winter into spring, we've had a few deaths recorded in the entertainment world. Among them, Charlie Watts, who died on August 24. did define Charlie Watts he stood up to Mick Jagger he was the quiet one in the band the man in the back are playing the drums I don't think he liked to start him very much and when he was not with the Stones he loved playing jazz and the song that defined Charlie Watts as a drummer came in 1969 
WFM 89.0 Independent Community Media Cosmopolitan News and Views The late Charlie Watts with the Rolling Stones Number 1, 1969 The Honky Tonk Woman Then a few days before we heard Of the death of American country singer Tom T. Hall He was a storyteller He told stories like Harper Valley PTA Which was a big hit for Jeannie C. Riley The song at the time caused a fair bit of controversy along the way. He was a good singer himself. This is one of his hits. I love little baby ducks, old pickup trucks, slow-moving trains and rain. Little country streams Sleep without dreams Sunday school in May And hay And I Love you too I love Leaves in the wind Pictures of my friends, birds of the world, and squirrels. I love coffee in a cup, little fuzzy pups, bourbon in a glass, and grass. Kisses from a child, tomatoes on the vine, and onions. I love winners when they cry, losers when they try, music when it's good, and life. Much 
Independent community media. This is Cosmopolitan News and Views. Yes, Don Everly, 84, died in August, in August 21. It was a bad week for music as we know it. 84, his brother had died previously a few years earlier. They um, had their moments, and of course, um, one of the Everly brothers walked off stage in a huff back in 1973. So right now it's time to get the show underway and good afternoon, sir. How are we? Good afternoon. So strange wearing a mask in a radio studio. I think it's just for our safety, health, etc., etc. And as I said before, people out there, put your masks on. Um, I don't want to dodge you just any time when I walk the street. We've got to beat this virus. When it came to World War II, there was never any doubt in then New Zealand Prime Minister Michael J. Savage's mind that where Britain goes, we go. But was Britain so sure of its own commitment? David Foreman of Hamilton is fluent in Russian, a translator of that language into English, giving him an access to Russian literature and mindset in facing their common enemy back all those years ago, Adolf Hitler. What say, David, Winston Churchill had not been there to influence parliamentary thinking to know how to deal with the Nazis and their proclaimed Third Reich? What do you reckon? Well, I think the declaration of war was made under, uh, under Chamberlain, actually, um, who then, um, well, he wasn't very well and he re- soon resigned, um, but Britain would have, I think, found itself at war, but with perhaps a less effective leader. But nobody wanted Winston Churchill as Prime Minister, David. They they certainly didn't. He was very much on the outer in the uh, Conservative Party, in the wilderness, I think it was termed. And uh, because the uh, Conservatives were were more interested in uh, coming to terms with with Germany than, than, say... uh, the alternative, which would be perhaps taking collective action with uh, the Soviet Union, uh, which was, of course, uh, Hitler's arch enemy and the object of his uh, conquest dreams. It was that that was the undoing of the Third Reich, do you say? Uh, oh, that's absolutely. I mean, um, if you just look at the statistics, which I, I don't have with me... Um, there's no no doubt that's where the war was lost, I think, for Hitler. Uh, I think something like 80, 83% of all Germans killed were on the Eastern Front. Um, so that, that was decisive. I think he was in the box seat until he invaded Russia. But of course, Churchill had to deal with Charles de Gaulle and Joseph Stalin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and... Of course, Mickey Savage and then Peter Fraser. So he had a 
he had a kebab around him. Sorry? He had, he had a whole lot of people to, enemies and allies to deal with, uh, Winston Churchill. And um, he, was in, he, was, he was in his 70s when he became Prime Minister. He must have had a good constitution. Yes, well, I think he was about, what was he, 65, I think he was, actually. I think born in 1875. Yep. Um, he, well, he survived, didn't he, until he was 90. <laughs> <laughs> and, and an alcoholic. And, and all that drinking and, and smoking, all those cigars, yes. He was charismatic. And without that charisma, where might Britain be today? Well, um... I hate to think, really, because um, he did at least, um, he was determined not to surrender, mm -hmm. and um, then Hitler sort of blundered by um, invading Russia, which, it, of course, vastly overextended his resources in the end. And, and of course, his um, star had been tarnished, of course, in World War I at, at Gallipoli. So. At, at Gallipoli. He, he really, people never really forgave him for that. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he had to resign as, I think, what, First Lord of the Admiralty and went to France in some sort of military capacity. And, um, and then so he that's dogged him ever, that had dogged him ever since. And then, then, he, then he supported the abdication of, uh, well, the abdicating King Edward VIII. Right, I don't know about that actually. But you yes, know more about yeah. more about the Soviet side just from being in the country and being able to understand the language. Was Stalin one with charisma to be compared with Churchill? Um, he certainly was. He he became an object of worship by, by on the part of the Soviet people. Um, we don't like to admit this, but, um, and, and it's very strange because um, he wasn't even a Russian. Uh, he's, he spoke Russian with a, a notable Georgian accent. He was Georgian. That was his first language. He was, even as a young adult, I understand he didn't speak very good Russian, but he worked at it until he became very proficient. Um, and I think the, 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 the Russians were quite shocked when they heard his voice for the first time on radio. It's well known that Lenin did not want Stalin in power because as soon as Stalin came to power, he purged all of Lenin's supporters. Trotsky was one of them. He did. Um, well, Lenin, initially, of course, Lenin was uh, very impressed with Stalin because he was a wonderful fundraiser for the party in the early days. Um, he referred to him as my wonderful Georgian. But um, towards the end, when uh, Lenin was uh, gravely ill after a number of strokes, he, he learned how Stalin was behaving, especially towards his wife. And um, he didn't like it, and he, you know, he left this codicil uh, declaring that Stalin would not be a good leader and uh, he was just too rude and uh, lacking in, well, all sorts of qualities, diplomacy, what have you, uh, to take on that role. But, of course, at that time, uh, everybody assumed, I think, Trotsky was the number two. Yep, and, of course, ended up with an ice pick in his head. Sorry? Yes, he ended up... Yes, that was uh, 20 years later, well, 15 or 20 years later. You'd have to say that Stalin was behind that. I believe that. I don't think there's much doubt of that, yes. 
Do you think that Stalin himself was aware of how difficult it might be to swing Britain to its support? Well, that's why he, he tried. Um, there were negotiations with Britain and France, between Britain, France and the Soviet Union, right up to, well, late in 1939, in an attempt to take some collective action against Hitler. But nothing came of it. And um, Stalin thought Britain and France were not really serious. And um, that's why he si signed the pact with Russia at the end of August 1939. Oh, an immigration nice. pact, which I, many say well left Hitler free to, to, to attack the West. And then, of course, Hitler changed tune, invaded Russia, right, and, yes. and, and in the winter, of course, they had to retreat. They did. They they made fabulous progress, actually, uh, in the in the summer. Of course, they the the, the war started in midsummer, and they carved off huge tracts of territory in their invasion. But they came to a stop outside Moscow with, with winter, and I think they possibly hadn't reckoned with a couple of factors. One was the um, low quality of Russian roads and uh, what happens in autumn. Those roads, which are just mud, turn to, into a swamp. Hitler and then, of course, down came the snow and they weren't well adapted for that either. Hitler would seem to have underestimated the ability of the Soviets to manufacture war goods and, secondly, their qualities as soldiers. Oh, they, well, the, 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 the Slavs were for Hitler a, uh, uh, an inferior race. You know, they weren't Aryans like us. <laughs> and um, his, his ambitions for expansion were always headed eastwards. And I think he, he you know, he had his eyes on, on the Ukraine, very fertile farmland for a start. And his intention, I think, was simply to reduce the, the Slavs, in particular the Russians, to a sort of, you know, slave race. Well, he certainly underestimated them, absolutely. And, and now we have the benefit of hindsight and look back and you'd reached the conclusion, David, that without Russia's support, the war might not have been won. Well, the war against Germany... Um, I, I can't see how else um, victory over Hitler could have been achieved, um, possibly with a lot more commitment from the United States. Uh, but um, it's just that, you know, um, that's where the damage was done to yeah. uh, the, the Wehrmacht, you know, yeah. Hitler's army, and something like 83% of all German casualties. Uh, on all fronts were on the on the Russian front. And of course, Hitler's plan was to wipe out the Jewish population around the world. Look at look at what happened in Poland and Czechoslovakia, etc., etc. Oh, that's absolutely true. Um, and uh, that continued. Of course, a lot of Jews, huge number in Poland, uh, not so many in Germany actually, but many a lot in Poland, quite a lot in the western parts of the Soviet Union, especially the U the Ukraine and the Baltic and yes they all suffered but um, an awful lot of other Jews of course were evacuated 
to safety. And, and, yeah. and of course, we've got to remember Jews like Albert Einstein, who became a pacifist. And Germany lost a lot of these scientists because they fled. They were their only reason. They were Jewish. Well, that's right. Ge you know, um, Germany lost a lot of talent, without doubt. And do you remember, David, when you were there, that the Russians were commonly appreciative of Britain defeating the common enemy as well as themselves? Was it appreciated? It wasn't in the Soviet Union's interest to promote a Western country, after all. It, it wasn't, actually. Um, uh, obviously, the, the tendency is to play up the, the Soviet role in victory over Hitler, but I think we do the same thing, really. I think we accord a very small part to the, the Soviet efforts, which were, of course, enormous. Um, I think if you look at the average Western history of World War Two, you probably find, you know, that the Eastern Front gets one one chapter, uh, when in fact that's where the damage was done against Germany. Um, but um, while I was there, though, and I'm talking about I think the late 70s, they did put out the Soviets did make a huge 20-part uh, television documentary. And uh, which did actually feature the, you know, um, the rest of the war, as it were, the, the war in North Africa or Italy, and, you know, take some heed of Western, the Western contribution. And also it did, it did cover, for example, the uh, shipments to Murmansk and the other ports of, uh, you know, supplies for the Red Army. Mm -hmm. It must be so interesting from your point of view being fluent in both languages to be able to read for yourself directly from the Russian records. Well, yes, I'm, not, I'm certainly not an expert on the subject, but uh, I certainly do have that opportunity. David, a thought 80 years on, do you think Russia has gone backwards under Putin? Well, um, in the early days, Putin... Um, things went well for Putin. I think uh, his policies, plus rising oil, oil prices, um, were responsible for, you know, increasing, increased prosperity in, um, in Russia. Mm -hmm. that, but things had not been, certainly had not been so good lately. And um, I, think, I think there was initial mater enormous material progress uh, in the early days of Putin. Uh, and I think Russia uh, made much bigger strides economically than the West expected. Mm -hmm. But that has not been continued, of course. And then with the growing sanctions, of course, that doesn't help either. I, I, but, I, um, but of course, um, there are other unfortunate trends under Putin, as you can see. Yep. Um, it's becoming very much a one-party state. Uh, there's sort of pressure on opposition forces, which... Um, is, 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 is uh, unfortunate. Yeah, and, I'm and uh, since we've been in lockdown, David, also looking at China and looking at uh, there, I've got to call him a dictator now because he's, um, he's moving to go back to the days of Mao Zedong. Well, he's certainly accumulating more power, it seems, than his predecessors, his two pre last two predecessors, yeah. yes. E e even telling the young boys in China 
to stop being sissies and take the makeup oh. off. <laughs> Would you like to go back to Russia on a visit, David? Oh, I'd very much like to. I have been a few times just on brief visits, and, um, you know, I, I'm very fond of Moscow. I lived there for a bit, worked there for a bit, and um, it's, it's a lovely city. And it's, I think, you know, it's been spruced up a lot since the end of the communist regime. And um, culturally, it was a great place. Uh, it was always a great place for conventional culture, you know, ballet and opera. But these days, you you know, it's got everything now. You've got pop concerts. I mean, no lim no no limit. Yeah, Elton John has played there, amongst others. Oh, yeah. Billy Billy Joel's played there. But um... well, let's hope you get another chance to revisit that country that you treasure, David Foreman of Hamilton. Thank it's a pleasure, you. David. Hey, we'll have to have another chat on history another day. Oh well, I perhaps should should do a bit of. Um, Swat up first. Thank you. <laughs> anyway. Hey, no, you've done very well. We've done very, very well. Hey, we'll catch you again one of these days. Thank you, David. right away you're like a flash of lightning I was in Dudley five weeks ago in Dudley it was a raid I don't like raids no no when that warning goes my tummy goes right over honestly no I can't help it I can't help it you see goes right over and I run in anybody's house never made a bloomer yet I'm not kidding and this particular night, they were dropping them all over the place. Dropping them all over the place, they were. And there was a fellow running down the street in his shirt. That's all he had on, a little tiny shirt, running down the street. I said, where are you going? He said, home. Here. Listen. 
Here's a song that goes with it. I never slept a wink all night. <laughs> I never slept a wink all night She brought my supper up to bed As she stood there, her face was red I don't know what I did or said But I never slept a wink all night As she stood there, she held my hand She really was a beauty She said, you Yes, the man who was his Tunes were banned by the BBC Along with George Formby, the late Max Miller Mel Sarah Hudson is a leader of La Leche League's Hamilton Group that's dedicated to giving advice, encouragement for mothers to breastfeed their babies. And it's at about that point, is it, Sarah, that men (laughs) phase out because this is very much women's business. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it is is predominantly um, women's business, but, you know, men men and partners and and fathers play a a big role in supporting breastfeeding as well. And we supported it when our lives began. Yeah. No, it's it's what what's the what's the problem? I, I I'm afraid some women and some men they they protest for nothing about it. It doesn't worry me. Yeah. It's natural. It's natural. It it's it's like Texas and the abortion laws. I I just I just I just start screaming. Yeah. But saying something is natural is not the same as saying it's easy. No, no, and I think that's where, um, you know, a lot of people do struggle because we, you know, we're told it's a natural process. Giving birth is natural, breastfeeding is natural, but it definitely doesn't equate to either of those things being easy. Um, You know, birthing and, and feeding your baby from your body can be really, really challenging, um, and that's why that's why we do what we do. Is it a challenge? Is it a challenge, of course, in COVID nineteen times? Uh, yeah, that definitely um, that makes it a lot more challenging, especially if you have uh, been, you know, have given birth during the level three or four restrictions, because that limits the amount of support people you can have with you and how long they can stay with you. Um, it also limits the services that are available to new families, new parents. Yeah, so it's definitely been a lot more challenging in the last, I guess, 18 months. How did you become involved? Oh, back oh, a long time ago now. My, my child is 14 um, and I first went along when she was three months old. I went to one of the big latch on events for World Breastfeeding Week that happen every year Um, and I met a really lovely group of women and families that yeah that the the thing that we all had in common was breastfeeding our babies and and using it as a parenting tool. Do you talk to your daughter about breastfeeding do you have that open conversation? Oh it doesn't really come up much (laughs) these days but you know 14 year olds are not really that keen to talk about things like that um, but yeah I mean it's definitely it's not a topic that we shy away from although it's yeah. vital to the perpetuation of the human race yeah it's something that we tend to take for granted do we yeah yep we definitely do um, and you know if you are pregnant and expecting your first or subsequent children I think 
you kind of assume that your body is going to do what it's supposed to do and sometimes that that doesn't happen you know you can have all the information and all of the support in the world um, and still things don't go you know as, as easily as what we would like and people don't like to dwell upon that or, or perhaps they do and dramatize it and cast fear into others minds well I think yeah there's a lot of um, kind of unresolved breastfeeding grief and trauma um, from people who may have desperately wanted to feed their babies and you know through no fault of their own haven't been able to continue doing that and so they may say well it's not important because I didn't do it um, and my babies turned out fine and yeah people do turn out fine you know we're not saying that if you can't breastfeed that your baby's going to have something wrong with them but yeah I think we just yeah mums expect that that their bodies are going to do what they're designed to do and when that doesn't happen it yeah it can can leave kind of lasting issues for them even if we don't talk about them as much as what we should and and another thing too is we've had the controversy of Oronga Tamariki being at the door of the birthing unit and taking the baby away from its mother before that baby could be breastfeed yeah it's that's a it's very very tragic um when we hear those kind of stories but we, we're not in a position to really talk to that <laughs> is but, breastfeeding universal in the sense it happens the same in whichever culture or society it may be? Um, I think so. Um, I think in kind of Western worlds we have a different idea of what babies should do. Um, you know, we often don't grow up seeing normal baby behaviour. We may not have ever held a baby of our own, uh, held a baby until we have our own, whereas in other cultures... You know, babies are part of everyday life and so they see babies being fed often and carried and, you know, babies will just sleep in someone's arms. They don't have to be, you know, put down in a cot to go to sleep. Whereas in, yeah, in the Western world, I think that's our, our kind of idea of what a good baby is, is you feed them, you put them down and you leave them. If it were only so simple... Yeah, if, if we could figure out how to do that, um, we'd all be millionaires. But, you know, that's not... It's ba- normal babies, normal baby behaviour is wanting to be fed often and, and stay in close contact with their mum or their dad or, you know, another trusted big person in that baby's life. And, of course, in COVID-19 times, one of the young babies in Middlemore Hospital has got COVID-19. How is, how does a young baby survive having COVID-19? Oh, that I, I don't know. With lots of love and, and support and all of the medical support that they can have. Um, yeah, that's a really, really, really tough situation. And we all just hope that, you know, all of the young babies and young children can come through the other side, you know, being okay. And the experience of mothers meeting someone like yourself, Sarah, and others who take leadership positions, is that potentially going to make a big difference in a mother's life? Well, I hope so. I mean, that, that's why we do what we do, is to help 
help mums and new parents, you know, just really feel like they they can trust themselves and, you know, they they know their babies best and we kind of aim to to help them sift through all of the contrasting, contradicting yeah. um, information that is out there and, you know, we help them to figure out what they want to do. You know, we don't tell people what to do. Um, yeah, we we give we give people the support and the encouragement to do what they feel is right I, for them and I, their families. I just looking at some old film the other night on television with a Plunkett nurse coming to visit you and weighing the baby and a pair of <laughs> and a pair of and a nappy. Yep. I, I that probably happened to me many many years ago. Yep. Um, it's, it's good to see those old uh, black and white movies of the Plunkett nurse. Does that still happen today? Yes. Yep, Plunkett, um, you know, they, um, my, my interactions were, you know, over 10 years ago. But, yeah, you do, you know, you do get your babies um, weighed and their height checked. And it's a, you know, it can be a good way to just monitor and see that they are still growing kind of along how they should be growing. You know, not every baby is going to gain, you know, X number of grams in a, in a week or a month. It's just... You know, it's just one of those tools that we use to, to just see that babies are, go, you know, kind of growing on, on their own little track. It must be wonderful to be a baby with a constant uh, supply of good milk on, on tap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it a pity, though, that we can't remember experiencing that directly? We may remember young siblings, but I've yet to meet a man who said, I remember nursing at my mother's breast yeah memory um, seems to extinguish it yeah i have met a couple of people who do remember um being breastfed uh they normally breastfed you know into the into their childhood not just you know as a baby or a toddler um and yeah they they tend to have really fond memories of just the comfort and the connection with their parents Perhaps mothers would get uh, more credit for what they do and go through if, yeah. on, if only their <laughs> babies, especially the boys, could remember. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. highlighting a difference, though. Yep. The age of weaning. Yeah. There's a difference internationally. Yep, yep, there definitely is. Um, I think the worldwide average um, is about four, four and a half years. Um and the, um, an anthropologist studied, you know, the anthropology side of things and, and came out with an average biological weaning age of about two and a half to seven. So it's a time from when you've got all of your baby teeth in until your baby teeth start coming out. Then you've got to think of poor mother when she is delivered of triplets or quads. <laughs> Who gets the first... Suck on the teat, as they say. (laughs) Yep, I guess they just, you know, babies that are born as, you know, one of of multiples, I guess they learn learn to share and and wait perhaps a bit sooner than than other children. Some of the most... I know of one mum who exclusively breastfed triplets um, in Australia up until, oh gosh, I can't remember, I think... One of them weaned a bit earlier, but they would have been maybe four, you know, and so that's, that's definitely a rarity. We don't see that 
as often because there's a lot more challenges, I think, with multiple births. At that stage of life, such important processes happening in a baby's mind and learning. Yes, yeah. And an international organisation which has promoted research has science much to offer that isn't already first-hand knowledge of breastfeeding mums? Sorry, can you repeat that? Has science much to contribute, Sarah, to the insight and practice of breastfeeding? Or yes. is it something that we got this far with civilization? so obviously it's been, it stood the test of time? Yeah, I think um, science is catching up to what, you know, what many breastfeeding parents kind of already know that, you know, breastfeeding is good for babies. It's designed for babies. It's the only food that is, you know, designed specifically for humans. Um, and so, yeah, science is slowly catching up with all of the things that, that parents just kind of know and, and understand. So it's nice to have nice to have some research to back, yep. so, back up what we say and what we do. Somewhere in the world today, there's a mother with a fridge that has expressed milk in, the, in it for a, a later day. Yep. So how long does expressed milk from the breast last in the fridge? Oh, goodness me. Um, Sorry to put these questions no, no, to you. No, no, that's okay. Um, I believe it is, oh gosh, four hours out of the fridge mm -hmm. um, and two, two to three days in the fridge um, and then in the freezer, uh, depending on whereabouts in the freezer um, and what kind of freezer you have, it's anywhere from six to 12 months. As a leader in the local Hamilton group, for La Leche League, there must be so much knowledge that you take on board, just in case someone asks. Yes, well, generally, generally we can have the time to <laughs> to look it up, just to make sure that we are, you know, not not, um, you know, so that we're actually getting all the information um, accurate. So we do, you know, we do do phone calls, um, and if we need to phone families back, then we do that, or we. You know, I can email them through some extra information or things like that. Like all organisations, especially the voluntary ones, there's a need for funding. Yes. Is, is it easy? It's been going in the Waikato since the 1960s. Yeah, so that's, you know, funding has always, always been a bit of a struggle, um, you know, since I've been involved with the LHA League, um, you know, we do we do fundraising, um, like sausage sizzles, and we run workshops for members of the public as well. And we, you know, we generally will get a small bit of profit from that. Um, but one of our biggest kind of income sources is applying for grants, um, mm. and so that can be can be a bit of a challenge. And how does the organisation? count success? Is it the number of mothers who came forward and attended a function or an occasion? How do you reckon it? Um, well, we do. Um, if Every time that we talk to a mum or a dad or a grandparent or, you know, an expectant parent, that is us being successful. You know, we are, 
doing our doing our best to provide these new families with information and yeah. support. Um, and every time we do that, as leaders, we make a note of it. And at the end of the year, we tally up all of those and send them through to our head office. What 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 what, what do you say to people who oppose breastfeeding? Um, generally, not much. I don't. I haven't haven't really come across anyone who opposes breastfeeding. And do you notice that the trend is to spread the word, bring more and more contacts, or do you see a decline over the years you've been involved? Um, in the past year, uh, we've had a decline in kind of our, the, the contacts that we make in person, uh, but definitely an increase in the number of online contacts and social media contacts mm -hmm. that we make. So it's a transition to a new age. Yeah, and you know when we aren't when we aren't kind of bound by the restrictions, um, we do meet two, three times a month in person, um, and yeah, if we can't do that, we do our best to do online meetings. We've had a couple of them in the last three, four weeks. The the, the spirit of Dr. Truby King is still around these days. The Plunkett Society. I wonder if he supported breastfeeding. He definitely supported breastfeeding, but I think his ideas of, you know, how how babies should behave and how often they should feed kind of come up against nature and biology and what's, you know, biologically normal for, for babies. So I think he definitely, you know, was under the impression that breastfeeding is good, but it should look a certain way. Well, Sarah Hudson... Uh one of the leaders of La Leche League's Hamilton group. Long may the babies keep coming, and yep. that calls on the continued input of those trained in La Leche to give others advice. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, for a, it's a pleasure, and we, we support what you do, and all the best to you, and I hope uh, we'll have another chat. We will hope to get you in here in the studio. Yes. And one of these days, when we're out of, finally out of COVID, and yep. have another good chat. <laughs> Yep, that would be lovely. I it's look a pleasure. To it. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Okay, thank bye, you. bye bye. Uh, of course, uh, we've got 24 new cases of COVID in the community. Uh, 23, but there is one that has been reclassified. At the border, we've got 30. In the community, 569. But there's another important anniversary today, Mel. 9/11. Where were you on 9/11? Do you remember? I can't remember either. It's too many years ago now and we forgot about being breastfed we don't remember <laughs> but some do yeah, i know we had a local disaster about 10 years ago out of tamahiri the coal store and i was uh, both you and i were here that day when the tamahiri coal store coal store went up so we've seen a lot of disasters it will take a break and play a song from 2001 
89.0, independent community media, both Mel and I are wearing masks in the studio right now for our health and safety and the safety and the health of other members of society. We will until further notice. So if our voices are sound a bit muffled, that is why. It is 29 away from two. Mel, who's next? A man who has sparked interest in badminton among his Waikato Punjabi community since about 2008. I think that is about the time that you moved from Rotorua to Hamilton with your family, Gupri. Oh, no, that was actually um, uh, Ahmed, the other guy. Uh, I have been in Hamilton for the last, um, like, uh, 33, 34 years, ever since I came uh, to New Zealand. So, but uh, you got him mixed up with the name Ahmed. He's ah. from Rotorua, and he is the grant secretary uh, of the club, or basically running all the grants and things like that. So it's all properly constituted, and in its very name describes who plays. Who plays for the badminton teams? That um, that's a very good question. Um, actually, all nationalities, like for example, Punjabi is uh, basically that's one state of Punjab, and initially. We were six or seven of us. Uh, that includes the Yendur Pinterwirk, Sati Deol, Bato Deol, and uh, myself, and a um, few others. We are all Punjabis, and hence our reason for giving it the name of Waikoro Punjabi Badminton Club. But as the club grew, basically we have got people from all different states of India, also Kiwis, other nationalities as well, because since it started, it basically it's get the club got bigger. So we got every every member of basically most the community, um, all the other nationalities as well. And all told, we're talking about what number of people players? Uh, Thirty-eight at the moment. Basically, uh, but they go up and down as well. So all the families are involved in that. What's the appeal of the sport for you, Gabri? 
For me, that's a good question. Um, I'm sure you would have tried Indian food, and Indian food is quite rich. And every now and then, when I used to go to temple, and I could see some um, our elderly and even young people unfit, bigger waistline. So I thought, I don't want to see myself like that. So I thought we need to do something about it. And um, back from India, I used to play badminton and I used to play hockey and all that. So just a group of our friends, we started off and started at the temple. But uh, as the club grew, we approached the uh, Waikato, Waikato Badminton Association and um, and they were very helpful and they took us on board. And ever since, like all the families, the, the ladies, the kids, everyone just joined and we became more competitive as well as we basically grew and uh, everybody started to enjoy it and that's how uh, basically um, <clears throat> it got bigger and bigger. And of course in the last 10 years or so there's been controversy over the name of the New Zealand badminton team at international level. The name the Black Cox came up and that caused a lot of controversy. Has that died down? That has died down. That I think that was just a just for a little while that came up and that basically died down. What you so, hope uh, comes up, your plate, is names of members of your club who go on to greater things. Yep, that's exactly right. Even at this moment, um, we have got a um, number of players and uh, of badminton. They are basically um, playing for the New Zealand age groups, reps and uh, be it 14, 16, 17, and number of players like that. And uh, so that's been right from the beginning, from 2008, right until now. I think we have got uh, Amreen Virk, Virk, and some others as well, uh, which who are basically uh, playing at the Disneyland age group reps level. So which is very good to see that our players are doing very well. You were motivated in part by the exercise you could see would be healthy for individuals including yourself, no yep. doubt. <laughs> yes. But what are the right. other attractions of badminton as a sport? Uh, again, that's a very good question. Uh, this is a game you can play all season, be it rain, hail or sunshine. You can just go badminton hall and play it. And second thing is, it's the family atmosphere. And all the kids are there, the wives are there, and it's a very family sort of atmosphere, and uh, which really attracts a lot. Whereas, like some other sports, like cricket or um, hockey, football, and they are rather dependent as well. So, whereas this one we play all year, and um, that was really the key reason why we got so much involved into it. After watching the Paralympics uh, in, in lockdown, of course, is badminton good for, say, people with disabilities? Actually, this is a sport, like, for example, uh, anybody can play, and anybody who can hold the record, and they can move, they get better and better. Because I have seen some players, and, um, like, 65, 66, and uh, they were because their skills, they have such a good skill set that they can just basically stay at the court 
and um, just because with their skills they will make the op- opposite partner to run around so i don't think even the person who i'm referring to he was quite like a big but with their skills so anybody can play this game even um, yeah so as long as yeah you pick up the skills have a bit of a training and which is a very good sport so which is yeah for be it old young or uh, our paralympic players and all that yeah in a lot of sports there's a ball and this becomes a projectile and can cover long ranges such as in um, rugby and uh, i'm seeing the advantage someone was very ingenious in designing the first shuttlecock it doesn't go far you don't need the big venues do you like for tennis or something i i i, I yeah I'd uh, see that possibly in in the past too. That in some badminton halls, there's possibility that um, some of these shuttlecocks are still sitting in the rafters these days. Yes, it's actually the shuttlecock um, travels very fast, and some of our players are well known. And uh, two smashes, they can basically get rid of the shuttle, <laughs> and it's quite a fast game and it's a coordination um uh basically uh, you have to be quick and you have to be very like anticipate yeah. what's the next move that opposition player is going to make yeah. um, and uh, yeah so okay where, where is badminton hall here in hamilton oh that is on a day street uh, mm-hmm. badminton hall and they have got six courts and they generally they are booked um so like these basically you have to walk in advance yep. and um, so yeah but there are courts like in Horsham Downs as well we used to play Horsham Downs as well and there are in Cambridge and there are other uh, schools as well where we can use the courts but we have been uh, very lucky to have the opportunity of using the Waikato Badminton Association um, hall is, and, um, they, yep. is, is badminton still going on in level two? Is people having a game of badminton this afternoon, say? Uh, yes, uh, you're quite right. Even um, only the, the day it came on level two, I've seen a number of players going in. And uh, because they haven't played, uh, so once it came down from level three to level two, uh, they are playing. Um, and, um, do, you, do you have to wear a mask? Uh, basically, like when you enter in and all that, you wear a mask. And if, like for example, uh, my understanding is that, um, you, like obviously, like in the double game as well, you can't have more than four people. So different courts, and um, basically, as long as yeah. So you mentioned before, Gurpreet, about the competitive spirit. It's healthy yep. in sports to have such motivation and all that fitness. Yep. Now, when your teams are on the court and feeling competitive in that, and there's the exchange, you know, communication between players. Does that happen in Punjabi? Oh, I think uh, Punjabis are known for that. And um, (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, some of our members, um, we do have a very competitive spirit, and we don't like to lose. And I can actually give you an example. Yes. I was playing so hard that basically I had a, I used to have a, like even sometimes sore back and oh. I hit the shuttle and then the next moment 
I sprained my back and the three players has to basically escort me to the car. Oh, so, that was Your friend in the background there, we can hear a lot of barking. You got a visitor coming to the door or something? No, no, actually, uh, we have got a small Jimmy dog. I think my wife, she has taken him out now. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, that doesn't worry me at all. So. <laughs> oh, he doesn't like it for some, some, if he sees any cat or any bird. He, 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 he probably doesn't like our, the, the radio at the moment. I sounded happy. <laughs> oh, there it goes. No. <laughs> probably no. probably no, no, actually, Yeah, no, no, he's oh, just... Basically, he's quite a lovely little I'm sure. dog. I'm and, sure. Um, the yeah. company of uh, pets, loved pets, it, it makes life that much better, doesn't it? Especially like in the lockdown, like um, I was, I used to work because I've been working from home and he would just come and sit beside me on a chair yeah. and pretending that he understands exactly what's going on. <laughs> oh, to, 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 I, luckily I don't have Zoom at home. I think you'd probably be over too many Zoom meetings. Number of Zoom meetings, and, um, and that's when he became very handy. Do you remember a time when, when we went home, yeah, and didn't take our work with us? Yep. They were times when there wasn't the communication that put the office on on call twenty four hours a day. Do you think that it, it has its downside, being able to um, or being expected to handle everything from home? Mostly, like, for example, um, I like to have, say, work is my workplace. Go there and work and come back. Don't bring back anything from work, home. And same way, whether, whether I'm at home, it should be my home situation. But yeah. that's me. And, 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 of course, when you do Zoom meetings at home, you've got to have a pair of pants on, of course. That's, that's right as well. And um, another thing is, for me, like, um, I use a dye, hair dye. And a lot of people commented of what happened because I didn't do my hair dye. <laughs> For a month, and uh, so he said, "Oh, geez, you've grown older a lot." <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I don't do Zoom meetings. Never done them. Oh, you never done it? No, oh, never no, done I a see. Zoom meeting. And um... now, India has its featured sports. Does badminton count in that nation today as a sport that's to be promoted and enjoyed by millions? Even like in India as well, it is going quite fast. And there is a Punjabi saying, which um, I'll translate into, into English. They say that the the thrill for the drink that lasts for a few hours, and the excitement of marriage, and that lasts for a year or two years, but the passion for badminton that lasts for a lifetime. It just reminds me of that ANZ cricket ad with a father and son. They talk cricket. His father wants him to be in the Indian cricket team, but he he becomes a black cap, and the old man gets his new ANZ cricket shirt out. <laughs> how how yes. good is that? That is good. Actually, I can relate to that because my both my elder boys um, they used to be in a hockey, and um, and then they've gone on to badminton and. Um, so I can relate to that ad. I've seen that ad, and uh, I can see, um, I can relate to that old man there in the ad. And um, you're quite right. And I think um, we we'll want to. Sometimes we feel that we want to relive our life through our kids, 
and uh, I think that's what that guy is doing in the ad. Yeah. In the E and the bank ad. You and, right. and, and of course, sadly, we've been watching your country and neighbouring countries like Pakistan with the COVID-19. Got any family in India at the moment? Are you worried about them in the Punjab? Are you worried about them? Oh, yeah, worry about a lot. Like um, my brother-in-law, he lost um, two, of, two of his brothers and um, his mum within one week. And um, same with my family as well. My mum's brother uh, and his wife, they basically they got the COVID-19 and gone within two days. And uh, so it is happening quite a lot in the Indian community. And uh, But I must say we are very lucky and that's something... Um, I always say to my wife as well that uh, for some reason or the other, when she, she she's a Kiwi, like when she went to India 34 years ago, for some reason or the other, she chose me. And um, so I always say thank you to her for that. And uh, that's why I'm sitting here, like in New Zealand, we're just very lucky to be in, in this yep. um, team of 5 million population. And whereas... Um, like in India, 1.2 billion population, and it is very, very hard. Well, I'll be watching. So, I'll be watching the Jacinda Ardern stand up uh, uh, in uh, later in the day again. So, and um, but we've also got to think to you, and when we get out of COVID, please come and join us in the studio for on a Sunday afternoon. We'll talk more. Definitely, I'd love to do that. Especially like uh, Mel has spoken to you and. Yep. Um, you have actually interviewed my brother-in-law, Narendra Sagu, and uh, so he was saying, uh, spoke very um, positively about you and about this community radio program as well. Yeah. And uh, love to do that. And one day, just come and uh, pop in and, yeah, um, and have um, a cup of tea. Yeah, have a cup of tea. India, yeah. Tea is very popular in India. <laughs> That's absolutely right. Um, actually, um, my wife... Bengal side and uh, West, West Bengal and mm. uh, they got a tea gardens oh. and uh, they go miles and miles and miles and um, and basically the tea leaves and all that it's, it's quite a it's, yeah it is yeah basically yeah. actually having said that it's the when the British they were in India they were the one who introduced the tea in India oh look you're, you're making me thirsty now I'll have to go find a tea bag at home somewhere <laughs> when I leave here to, yeah. hey, thanks, for, thanks for joining us on Free FM this afternoon yes no yeah. doubt Gurpreet Brazan that you're making your contribution through not only the Waikato Punjabi badminton club but in the other ways that you relate to people around it so we're the richer for your presence thank you thank you very much bye bye yes thank you, uh, it's, thank a, you. It's, it's a pleasure I'll let you get back to your dog <laughs> bye bye. Oh, hey, we we welcome anybody on this program, dogs including. It is twelve minutes to two as we remember Don Everly. Dream. In the 
Oh, great song. The original version of All I Have to Do is Dream. It was later hit for Glenn Campbell and Bobby Gentry. Don Everly, one of, sad to read of his death in August when we're all in lockdown. Well, he's he's free as a bird this afternoon. Good afternoon, Trevor. Good afternoon. I was just dreaming of that tune. Yeah. <laughs> how, 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 have you, how have you been in, in lockdown? Uh, I, I felt I was the only person in the world because there's hardly any traffic going along the street <laughs> and, and nobody walking and, and everything shut and an airy quietness. Yeah, I, I, I found that too. And as I was saying, I was dodging a few people without masks on today and uh, I had to go and buy some milk and um, some other stuff. And uh, boy, these people have got to realise they've got to wear these masks. I think it's very hard for some of these people to understand the, the aspect of this condi- disease mm-hmm. because they're feeling healthy and they think, well, I'm bulletproof. Well, some of us aren't. We'd, we'd, just, we'd just take it easy and uh, you're, you're puffing. Oh, yes, I, I had to run a bit to the car. <laughs> I lost track of time. It's, yeah, hey, no problem. No, no trouble at home in your place. And um... Very quiet, I I feel like uh, I'm the only one in the building. Oh, we've had we had a couple of incidents, well, three incidents, and then last week or so at uh, at the lodge. But uh, they're all over, and everything's been sorted out. Hey, Minister, too. Okay, what's been rattling your chains? Also, oh, well, I was thinking about this a uh, Delta. Yes, that's the latest thing now. I think they're going to run out of names if this keeps up. <laughs> uh, what's been happening with level four around the country is also in effect in Auckland at the moment. Is what's what what's open, what isn't, what's what's closed off, and what border lines are there, and so on, delivered to one side of the street and not the other, and, and, and all this carry on. Why not have a, a think tank with experts in it, intellectuals, not only politicians, that could work out a strategy for when these lockdowns come in. And what should be applicable and what shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 as it seems, there's level fours coming in and so on. They make it up as they go along what should be open and what shouldn't. Well, well, I'm quite glad we're not in level three. Do you know why? Because it's level two delta. If we're in level three, we'd be in 3D. So, uh, <laughs> and, and you, you and I have seen a few 3D movies in the past. So. Uh, yeah, they're quite effective, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, something a bit over the top, really. Mm-hmm. They, they actually had uh, 3D televisions at the Heathcote Appliances a few years back. Hey, it was good to see you, Trevor, and good to see our um, friends uh, loud in the building. And we've got to keep socially distant, got to wear the masks until further notice. And it's uh, about time that you and I and uh, Mr. Driscoll left the building. We'll leave it to the guys to do uh, Harmony Waikato. I can hear the voice of Derek in the background. But let's go out and remember Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones. You remember the Rolling Stones? Oh, very well. I've seen them in action. Yep. Oh, you've seen them in action? Oh, we, yes, we, we, in Auckland back in the early 70s. Uh, I knew some friends uh, that had a, rented a place right next to oh. Eaton, uh, uh, Mount Eaton. Uh, not, well, I'm trying to think where that was, the other park they were playing there. Yep. And they sat up, got up in the tree. They had a bit of a hut or something up there. <laughs> we sat down and we only... Uh, Looking right into the stage. Did Charlie Watts smile at any time? Uh, no, he seemed to have a pretty serious face. I remember mine going back a while. <laughs> it is. Hey, we'll leave you at six minutes to two. Let the boys settle in for um, Harmony Waikato. Thanks, Trevor, and thanks, everybody. We'll be back socially distanced next week. <laughs>
And just before we do go, say good afternoon to our friend, young Peter. Young Peter McLean, I believe you're in the wars again. Peter, if you're listening, look after yourself, man. Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.